Euros. That's a nothing personal word. Are we live yet? 4869 Euros. Nothing personal word of the day. It is Monday, November 6, 2023. That weekend got to me. The first weekend without baseball. I expected to rest, relax. Instead, I'm up late, up early, getting all excited for the game in Germany between the Chiefs and the Dolphins. Six and two teams fighting it out with the possible number one seed on the line. And all I kept thinking about was Euros. I grant you that I may think about business more than most, but I'm looking around at the field, I'm looking at the crowd, and I'm waiting to read as many Roger Goodell comments as possible. Now it's fun watching Roger Goodell on the field and watch him hugging Juju. That was very cool. I don't mind him congratulating the women's national flag football team of Frankfurt. They were on the sideline or on the end line during one of the timeouts, times out. I'm in. But what's really going on here? Is it just expansion? Because we read about the Chiefs activating Germany. The Chiefs were granted the territory of Germany. Major League Baseball doesn't grant international territories to anybody. They're shared by all 30 teams. There are teams that can try to get a leg up, but you have to hide it from baseball. And then you get caught if you do something unsavory. So for example, if you are gonna send stuff to Cuba, Marlin stuff to Cuba, you have to tell baseball you're doing that because Cuba is not anybody's market. If the Yankees are trying to pretend that London's their market, and so they're spending extra money doing clinics or doing things there, it's just not allowed. The reason why Major League Baseball chooses to not assign international territories to a specific team is the goal of international baseball is participation in the sport, awareness of the sport, and then engagement with the sport. Participation is let's get young people playing baseball because you never know, we may get Yao Ming. Engagement with the sport, hey, let's go to the games when they're here. Let's watch the games when they're not here. And let's actively wear licensed, licensed apparel. So all of that is to get a larger TV deal over in those European and Asian and South American and Central American countries, because there's an MLB international department and that's its job. Its job is to add money to the central revenue pot, the central revenue pot that is fed by sponsorship deals, national like Loan Depot or Capital One. All of the TV deals with ESPN, with Fox, with Apple, with Peacock, that's the local part of the central revenue. Then the international would be Anytime their team's playing in Puerto Rico, anytime their team's playing in London, there are promoters who pay for that, right? So MLB International has, a, has its own P&L statement. It's its own department within Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball, in addition, they do something for PR called, quote unquote, they open international offices. The reason I'm bringing this part to your attention is 
Roger Goodell, as part of the PR of the games in Germany, in Germany, wanted to make it very clear that there is an open NFL league office in Germany, and it's their sixth international office. As though what we're supposed to picture is this bustling office with scores of employees furiously doing NFL things, whatever that may be. What it really means, MLB had an office in London for a while. It was part of the P&L of MLB International. They have offices in Tokyo run by a man named Jim Small, who now runs all of MLB International. I've been to the MLB Tokyo offices. It's not, it's, it's like a satellite office where you put a couple of people and you give them a connection to the MLB central office in New York. They get phones, they get swag. But it's like putting a stake down in an area, A-K-E, not E-A-K, and saying, look, we're here, we're serious, we mean it. It's like in your business, if you've got a law firm is a good example, where they can say on their stationery, law firm of Samson and Coca, its home office is in New York, but it's got satellite offices in New Jersey, Connecticut, Arizona, California, and Montana. You can say that even if one of the partners has a home in Montana and plugs in a computer every month and done a shtick and that's it. You still can say you've got an office in Montana. And the attraction for clients is, oh, I do business in those places. I can hire this one firm and then I'm covered wherever we are. And we get to market. Hey, look, wherever you are, we've got boots on the ground. That's what businesses do in addition, where they say that they've got corporate offices. And then you go to the building and you realize that it's suite 2A, which is a two office suite for a huge multi-billion dollar company. You're like, oh, that's not what I would call an office. That's what I would call a person answering phones. So I'm picturing the office in Germany, the NFL office in Germany. And of course, it's not where anyone is going to go other than a startup executive who really has an interest in growing within the NFL and says, you know what, I'll do a Mormon thing. I'll go on the road for two years. I'll start that office. I'll sit there and hopefully you'll bring me back home and you'll promote me to be a more important figure inside the New York office of the league. But the reason Goodell says all this is that he needs the fans and the businesses to believe that they have Germany figured out. So much so that during the course of the Frankfurt game between the Chiefs and Dolphins, it got out there that not only does the NFL want to go back to Germany, but now there's competition inside Germany because there's so many cities that want to host the NFL. Berlin wants a game. Dusseldorf wants a game. Well, if you've been to Germany, great. It's, it's a place. Why is the NFL so focused on Germany? Is it maybe because as they look at European expansion and the European division, and they figure out how is it possible that you're going to have five teams in London? That's not going to work. Four teams in London would be a division, but you could certainly have a division with two in London and two in Germany because that's easy travel. That's like Northeast corridor type travel. That's that, that can literally be its own division. No problem. And that would be the easiest way. And the only way that European expansion is ever going to happen. 
So it makes sense that you have to have different European cities. But to have different European cities who are supporting a team, Roger Goodell knows you can't count on travel, fans traveling, if it's a local team. If you live in Kansas City or you are a Dolphins fan, you will make a trip. You will spend the money. Say, hey, you know what? Let's do a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Let's go to this Chiefs-Dolphins game. We'll go to Frankfurt. We'll stay the weekend. It'll be amazing. Are you going to say the same thing if it's the Frankfurt Dragons playing against the London Ferris wheels? You're not going to say, all right, what a good idea. That'll be great. But what happens when your team goes to visit the London Ferris wheels, except they go every year? Would it be your view that there are people in Jacksonville who say, I miss my Jaguars so very much that when they play in London, not only am I going to buy season tickets in Jacksonville, but also... I'm going to fly to London for every one of those games. I don't get to fly privately. I don't get to fly with the team. All I know is that I have to buy a ticket like every other schnook. And you know what? That's a little much. This isn't like Taylor Swift where it's cheaper to get the flight and the ticket in Europe than it is just to get the ticket in the U.S. You're going in price for a Jacksonville Jaguars game or as a season ticket holder, it's going to be a lot cheaper than getting a ticket to London on top of that. So that can't be the reason. What else could be the reason? Some bonus to the Chiefs for having monetized and activated Germany because they have the rights to, and they think they're going to somehow make money by having their boat. Did you see that, Coca? The Chiefs brought their boat to the shore, to the rivers in Frankfurt, having parties, etc. It's a boondoggle for any American business person who goes there as part of a marketing department of any team or anybody who supports the Chiefs. It's a boondoggle. It's like a season ticket holder trip. Hey, guess what? Instead of going to LA to see the Chargers, we're going to go to Frankfurt and see the Dolphins. And we're going to pay because you're such big clients of the Chiefs. No problem. I'm happy to do that trip. That sounds cool. Get your passports updated. And while you're here, we're going to put you on the Chiefs boat. We're going to get all sorts of Chiefs swag. And you're going to feel as though Frankfurt is like our sister city. You ever seen that? I like that. The city where you live has a sister city in Europe, I promise. You likely don't know what it is. What it really means, it is a way that the two chambers of commerce share with each other. They share best practices. They share ideas. They share boondoggles. Go look up who your sister city is. You'll laugh. It's some city where politicians go all the time. So Roger Goodell is watching the Chiefs, watching the Dolphins, 21-0 at the half. He's despondent. The Dolphins make it close. The game ends 21-14. to The crowd is loud. NFL Network through Rich Eisen as the announcer, very clear to point out how huge and important different plays were. Very quick to point out the importance of the game, the affinity of the fans. I love it. Let's build attention at 6.30 in the morning LA time. But they're, they're into it. They're into it. But Roger Goodell had to point out not just the league office, but he kept going. This is really, he went crazy. He said, we will certainly go to a new market next year for sure. We're debating on that, and I think we'll have a decision in 30 to 45 days. We've made it clear, Roger Goodell continued, to our ownership that we think this is a unique time in our history and to advance our growth particularly. 
I think this may be the single most important growth moment in our history because we get to share our game. OMG. What makes you think? What could I tell you as host of this show that would indicate to you that this is the moment for unchartered territory in NFL growth? I'm just curious. This is the single most important growth moment. They already did their TV deals, locked them in. They are locked into those multi, multi-billion dollar deals. Do they mean expansion? Did he mean to say that this is the single most important expansion moment in our history? Well, that's saying a lot because it used to be just the core of teams and then they started expanding and they went big time, got up to 32 teams. Getting to 36, 32 to 36 straight, including Europe beating the other leagues. That's what he must mean. This is the most important expansion moment of our time. I would have respected that more if he had said it. So we're going to see how it all shakes down, but it's going to be interesting. I'll tell you that. The other thing you should look for in the next couple of days, weeks, months, and years, and we'll look out for it here on Nothing Personal as well for you. I am dying to know the finances for the Chiefs and how they were able to monetize this trip to Frankfurt versus the expense of what they've done in Germany all leading up to this game. They did get the win, but I'd like to know what the ROI was. Now, people could say, well, you can't really measure ROI. This is sort of a, (laughs) I can't. All right, I will. When an employee says to you that, hey, you can't measure this ROI, it's because the ROI is bad. What you do when you cannot explain something in financial terms, showing that you're making money, what you say is it's branding. You don't realize the money that you've spent is money well spent. Well, what's our return on that? What do we, did we get any more season ticket holders? Do we get any more sponsors? Can you point to any incremental money that we got by planting our flag in Frankfurt? You don't get it, team president, boss, man. You don't get it. By showing that we own Germany, we are going to, for years to come, be able to identify and then monetize opportunities. That's what you always say to your boss. We're going to identify and monetize opportunities that would not have been available to us, but for our investment. Horse hockey. Nothing personal pick of the day. Do you remember Friday night when the Bucks had to win by six and a half and they only won by five? Do you remember the first game of the playing tournament where the court made you dizzy? Well, I do. We lost that pick. But then we had the Chiefs over the Dolphins in Germany. That made me happier. Did I call it the playing tournament again? It's the in-season tournament. God damn it. Sorry, you can just edit that out. Four, eight, 69. Pick of the day were... We went one and one this weekend. We had the in-season tournament starting with those crazy courts that make you dizzy. Unknown when did the tournament end, when it starts, when they're playing. I guess they're only playing Tuesdays and Fridays from now till they play in Vegas. Anyway, we didn't cover. We did have the Chiefs 
over the Dolphins in Germany. That's a win. So we're 161 and 162. To get to 500 and over 500, we have two games I want to get to today. One, we've got the J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. For our friends at DraftKings, we are plus three and a half versus the Chargers. I was a Herbert guy, and now I'm officially a Jets defense guy. This is a field goal game at best. Jets plus three and a half against the Chargers if you want to watch that game. But there's an NBA game, and I think you'd be better served watching this guy play. Victor Wembanyama has been everything and more that the Spurs and the NBA could have expected when they made sure the Spurs won the lottery. The next big guy, he is done. He's relaunched San Antonio and Popovich. Very exciting for everybody. We happened to win on his under in game one. Since then, we have not done a player prop bet for him because he's capable of doing 38 or 18. He's capable of having four blocks or 10 blocks. The things that he does with the ball, if you have not watched him, watch him. Normally on back-to-back, you'd stay away from the NBA because will he play, will he not play? Who's going to play? Victor Wembayami will play tonight. They're playing the Raptors. They're playing the Pacers. They played the Raptors last night. They're playing the Pacers tonight and getting eight and a half. That is solely a reflection of a home and away back-to-back, which I think is not taken into account. Good old Victor Victor. So we're taking the Spurs plus eight and a half. Baseball news, off-season, it's starting. Every day you're going to read about a new player. Today's the deadline. It's today, November 6th, Coca. Today is the deadline. We're five days after the World Series. Today is when you'll hear about all the players, whether they opted in, opted out, player options were picked up, mutual options accepted, who's declaring free agency, who's not. We've already heard many players. Today is the day for qualifying offers, which is free agents who you can extend a one-year qualifying offer. If you remember what that is, that's what the union says makes it really hard for another team to sign that player because there's a draft pick associated with them. There are players who will decide to take the one-year $20 million deal, and there's other players who will choose not to. Meanwhile, you've got five or six managerial openings. The Mets are very close to naming a manager. Turns out Craig Council is a finalist. Shocking. Buck Showalter, a finalist in Los Angeles. Do I have a wait to see Coca on Showalter will not be the Angels manager? If Buck Showalter is named the Angels manager, I find it almost impossible to believe that even if they do re-sign Otani, that that is going to work. Buck Showalter does not like involved owners. He likes their payrolls, but not their involvement in anything else. Artie Moreno is way more meddling than Steve Cohn. Artie Moreno would want nothing to do with Buck Showalter, and Buck Showalter would want nothing to do with Artie Moreno. So there are managerial spots that have to be filled, and the Marlins last night announced who they are replacing Kim Ang with. Kim Ang was fired. She said she resigned. They parted ways only three weeks ago. Everyone's shocked after the Marlins making the playoffs. How could you get rid of the first female GM when your team made the playoffs? They were the national laughing stock. And I said, hey, this is a smart move for Bruce Sherman. Bruce Sherman made a hiring yesterday that is going to be looked at as risky. 
His name is Peter Bendix. He's the general manager for the Tampa Bay Rays. He's a 38-year-old jumbo. That's right, a shout-out to Tufts. Can't be bad if he's a Tufts graduate. He was named the president of baseball operations. You can imagine why Kim would have no interest in reporting to him. He's never been a number one, has no experience being a number one. He's always been the number two to Eric Neander in Tampa. I've told you about title inflation. When you have a president of baseball operations and a GM, the GM is more of an assistant GM in terms of job duties. The president of baseball operations is the GM in terms of job responsibilities and duties. There was just simple title inflation. What an AGM does and what Peter Bendix did, very, very analytically based, involved in their research, involved in their analytics, started as an intern, worked his way up and ended up being a full-fledged AGM and then a GM. But still, he was the numbers guy. I understand exactly what Bruce Sherman and the Marlins are doing. They're trying to copy what the Dodgers did. They're trying to copy what the Red Sox did. Let's take someone from the Tampa Bay tree, and then we will be Tampa. The Dodgers said, let's take the person who planted the tree in Tampa, bring him over to LA, give him money, and then he will be the best of all time. Andrew Friedman has been that. Only one World Series 2020, but people inside the game understand how difficult that is to win it once you're in the tournament. They've won their division, I want to say 11 out of 12 times or something like that. He has not given crazy long-term deals. He has kept, I'm talking about Andrew Friedman, the understanding of what made the Rays successful and tried to instill those values in the Dodgers. It's very hard to take a small revenue philosophy and put it to use for a large revenue team. But if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be a Friedman type. The Red Sox then hired Chaim Bloom as chief baseball officer. Turns out that they let him go because their view was, hey, we expected you to run this team like the Rays and to win like the Rays. Instead, you ran it like the Rays and we lost like the Marlins. What's the use of that? So they moved on, especially because they want to focus on buying the PGA and everything else they do at Fenway Sports Group. But I digress. So what the Marlins have said is, here's an idea. Let's take a Rays guy and move him to a team that has the same amount of revenue and payroll as the Rays and assume that all of a sudden we'll become the Rays. I love it. It's a great plan. There's one teensy, tiny problem. The reason why the Marlins have never been able to be the Rays is that the Marlins have lacked the discipline at the ownership level, at the president level, to actually have a plan, institute a plan, execute a plan, and let the plan be carried out. Tampa doesn't go from a payroll of 70 to 120 to 40 to 80 to 60. They basically let players go. They let the payroll stay relatively stable. They do not get married to anyone in the bullpen. They don't trade and sign bullpen arms the way the current Marlins do, and I did too. Everything 
we do, Tampa doesn't do. And when I would stand up and say, who's your favorite organization? Who do you want to be like? The answer was Tampa. The problem is just saying you're like Tampa or hiring a bunch of Tampa people, which we also did, it doesn't make you Tampa. Do we think that Bruce Sherman has the ability? This is the first question. Jeter's gone, so there's a better chance. But is Bruce Sherman able to let Peter Bendix run the team, give him the resources to build up their analytics department in a way that we never did, to spend a huge amount of money in non-payroll expenses, and then have reckless disregard toward the name on the back of the jersey? And I don't say that as a negative. The reason we were not able to do that is there was so much written. The Marlins let everybody go. You're the farm system for other major league teams. You'll never sign anyone long-term. No one will ever retire a Marlin. We, we signed Stanton. We signed long-term deals trying to get people to change their view of us. It's very hard to do. Instead of embracing that very player movement, the way Tampa does. We ran from it and signed free agents and signed expensive free agents and then signed, you know, I get blamed for Salta Lamakia, that's fine. John Buck, that's fine. Blame me for Wei-Yin Chen, I'll take the blame for all of them. You're not gonna have that problem anymore because if Peter Bendix is doing the job that he's brought in to do, those contracts don't get signed because they don't make sense. You take the emotion out, you take the agents out, and you run it with reckless disregard toward a fan base that is so desirous of continuity. So the hiring itself, while it could be brilliant, if he's not allowed to do the formula, it's gonna be a disaster. In addition, Whenever you hire a number two to be a number one, you've got a lot of people management skills. You've got to manage a clubhouse totally differently. You've got to manage ownership differently. You have to work with other departments in the company differently, marketing, sales, finance, budgeting. Not all number twos can be number ones. We've seen that time and time again. It will be fascinating, fascinating to see what happens. The Marlins have their man. All right, we come back. I watched a new movie and I can't wait to talk about it. And then we're going to give you some specific things that happen on the baseball opt-out side because lest you be confused as to why players are doing certain things because I was. And we're going to try to break through that confusion when we come back. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. 
Welcome back to Nothing Personal. Hope everyone had a good weekend. I did, I think. Very short. Thank you for listening, reviewing, subscribing. We're not getting as many ratings as we used to on Apple. Please make sure you rate, even if you watch on the YouTube channel, and then hit subscribe. You've got to hit subscribe. More people are listening and engaging than are subscribing. So just hit that subscribe button, please. Tell your friends about us. And don't forget to go to davidsampsonpodcast.com and you can get all the stuff that we're doing on and off the court. I watched the new movie on Netflix, Nyad, Annette Bening and Jodie Foster. It's a true story about a woman who swam from Cuba to Key West. That's over 100 miles in shark-infested, jellyfish-infested waters. It took her five tries to do it. This is a true story. She got it on the fifth try when she was, wait, 64. Like the Beatles said, there's a lot you can do when you're 64. And apparently, swimming and doing something that no one's ever done is one of the things you can do. There are articles being written about this movie saying, Diane Nyad did not swim it unassisted. It's not been sanctioned by the Marathon Swimming Association of Associations. So many people yucking on her yum because she has a caustic personality, because she's cocky, because she embellishes. Did she really swim it or not? Why were there no independent videos? Did she disappear for a few hours and do a Rosa Ruiz and jump on the boat for three hours, get some sleep, and then jump back in the water? Here's the thing about lying. Lying to yourself is just delusion. People who lie about their athletic achievements, it's just insecurity. It's just being pathetic, thinking that you're so cool to have done something that you haven't done. Lying on your resume, yes, I had this job, this job, and that job because you want to get the next job and you lie because you say, I know how to do these skills when in fact you don't. I get why people lie. I get the concept of white lies, full lies. Believe me, I get it. Athletic achievements that are individual are in a different category. If you are the type of person who runs a marathon, but cuts the corner, doesn't allow your chip to be timed, don't actually finish because you have taken the subway, or you don't finish because you didn't register, you didn't run the full 26-2, you don't get a medal, or worse, you do get a medal. Yesterday was the New York Marathon. And then you publicize the fact that you're a marathoner. How do you live with yourself? There are lies that we all live with every day. But making up an athletic achievement and then monetizing that by going on speeches, being paid to talk and motivate. There are people, Jordan Belfort, they make money off people not making money. I understand all that. Selling stocks that you're buying stocks and selling stocks for people where you know they're going to lose, but you're going to win. But an athletic achievement, Annette Benning trained for this movie by becoming a swimmer in her 60s. Jodie Foster worked out and became the most buff Jodie Foster I've ever seen as Diane Nyad's coach and best friend and one-time partner. You know the answer of what's going to happen at the end of the movie, but you're drawn into the determination. You're thinking to yourself, 
how does she do this? And I can't get to the gym for 10 minutes today. How does she do this at her age when I feel creaky at my age and I'm 30 and I'm 40 or I'm 50? Oh, she's just made different. That's what we do to rationalize other people's successes is we say, oh, they got the benefit of family relationships. They got the benefit of a great body. They're tall. They're thin. They're wide. They're thick. Stop it. Stop making excuses not to do something because the reason someone else did it is they have something you don't have. Opportunity. I don't have the opportunity. I've got to work. I can't take the time to train. Here's an idea. Choose something that makes you uncomfortable. Choose something that you care about. This is no dress rehearsal this life. And do it. Watch this movie. It will motivate you. It will motivate you to do something that you think cannot be done. Speaking as someone who's done a few things that people think can't be done, it makes it that much sweeter when you do it because all the naysayers can stick it. And all the people who look at you with contempt, oh, you took time away from your family to train. What a bad dad. Screw that. Go do something that will make you feel accomplished on the field, off the field. Just go for it. The feeling can be addictive. It's called Nyad. It's on Netflix. I think it's going to be around when the Academy Awards are nominated. The movie was fine. The story, extraordinary. All right, I want to do a opt-out roundup. I want to talk about a few players here because... There's a lot of players who are opting in, opting out, but I, as I told you in the beginning of the show, but I just want to point out a couple. The first one I want to point out is actually a question that you asked me. So Coca, please play the music. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. Get in my Twitter at David P. Sampson or go to davidsampsonpodcast.com. Ask whatever question you want. Sometimes it'll make the show. Sometimes it won't. Sometimes I'll answer it directly to you. And sometimes I won't. But the overwhelming majority of the time, I'm going to see the question. Hey, David. How you doing? Hayes for horses. Erod and the Tigers remain in talks about restructuring his contract. He has an opt-out clause. Can you explain the process, how that would work, please? Thanks. It's a great question and a perfect time of year to answer the question of opt-outs, options, and deadlines. There is something called a team option. A team, op a team option is when you sign a player for three years plus an option. It will be reported as a three-year contract plus an option for a fourth year. A team option for the fourth year means that at a particular moment in time, and you can negotiate whenever you want that time to be, the team has to formally say to the player, we have picked up your option or we have declined to pick up your option. If you pick up a player's option, it becomes the fourth guaranteed year of that contract and they're on your team. If you decline to pick up the option, the player is removed from your team and becomes a free agent. Very often, there are buyouts associated with declining a team option. So the contract would be for three years, $4 million guaranteed. 
pay a million dollars year one, a million dollars year two, a million dollars year three. That's only three years, three million. Where's the fourth million? There's a team option for a fourth year. And if you don't pick it up, you have to buy it out for another million dollars. That means that fourth million is guaranteed because either you buy out the option and give them that million, or you pick up an option and it becomes a fourth guaranteed year at a number higher than the buyout number. So instead of three years, 3 million, it becomes four years, 6 million, because you give them 1 million for the first three years and then 3 million the third, the fourth year. Buyouts have become much more complicated over the past 20, 25 years where you have multiple opportunities and multiple levels. So you can put into a contract that it's a four year deal for a pitcher. And then there's a fifth year team option, but the fifth year team option becomes a guaranteed year. If the player pitches 180 innings in the fourth year, that's called a vesting option. When you have an opportunity to achieve something on the field. And if you do, you get more guaranteed money. Then you can put into a contract that if the vesting option does not vest, then it becomes a team option with a buyout. So the, uh, so he didn't pitch 180 innings in our example, then it becomes a team option. Then the team can either accept or decline. And if it declines, they pay the buyout. Then it became even more complicated where there's a player option. A player option means that the player at the end of the contract, if it's a three-year, $3 million deal with a fourth year for $3 million, and it's a player option at $3 million, and the player can opt into the contract, but if the player doesn't, then it becomes either a team option or the player becomes a free agent. Player options are the single worst thing a management could do and the single best thing an agent can do. Because think about the math. If you have a player option at $9 million and your agent tells you, if you go to another team, they're going to give you $10 million. You go to your current team and say, I opt out of my contract because I want to go make 10 million somewhere else. If you have an opt-in at $9 million and your agent goes around to every other team and they say, I'll give you seven, I'll give you six, I'll give you seven, I'll give you seven. Don't worry, there's no collusion. I'll give you seven, I'll give you seven. What do you do? You go to your current team and say, hi, I'll take the 9 million, I'm opting in. So either way, the player is in control and the player either gets overpaid by his current team or the current team doesn't get to take advantage of an under market salary because the player opts out and goes to get his market. For all of you free market people who are criticizing my disdain for this concept, don't forget what my original thought is. I want every player to be a free agent every year. No problem. You don't have to wait six years of control with your current team. You're a rookie and you're good. You're Corbin Carroll. You are a free agent. No problem. Aaron Judge could have been making $30 million from his second year. Love it. Tim Lincecum too. Any young players out there who are really good 
every rookie of the year, let him make 10, $15 million. I still love it. Pay a player what he's worth every single year. Guess who's going to benefit at the end of the day? Management. Because the number of players who are overpaid is way greater in notional dollars than the number of millions of dollars that is underpaid to younger players. But I digress. So Erod, he was the player, remember him? Free agent, signed with the Tigers. He was the one who was traded to the Dodgers at the deadline this past offseason, except the trade was announced. The Dodgers needed pitching, but then the trade didn't happen because he had a no trade clause and he blocked the trade to the Dodgers. Do you remember what he said when he blocked the trade and how I said, I will never want this person pitching on my team? You're pitching for a team that's not in contention. You have an opportunity to go to a team that is in contention and you don't do it. There better be a significant family problem that I'm not aware of. He said, if I had a magic ball and could tell you the future, I'd probably tell you right away. But right now I'm here. This is Erod talking when he blocked the trade to the Dodgers. I'm with this organization and I signed here for a long time to stay here. I feel happy with everything. My family feels happy in Detroit. That was July. It is now November. There's been a lot of unhappiness in the Rodriguez household in Detroit, quite obviously, because he has opted out of his contract with Detroit. Three years, $49 million left. And he said, no, I can get more. Someone's giving me more than 349. All of a sudden, he doesn't need to be in Detroit any longer. It absolutely makes me insane. Just be honest. I love the honesty. If I can make one more dollar in a different city on a different team, I'm going to a different city on a different team. If my agent tells me that we have $1 extra to be made, I'm going to opt out. My name is Marcus Stroman. I'm opting out of my one year, $21 million deal. That's what he has left because I'm going to get more money from someone. Some schnook is going to give me two years thinking that the early season Marcus Stroman is who Marcus Stroman is and not the late season and effective Marcus Stroman. Do you think that Marcus Stroman, when he opted out of that deal, which I can't believe he did, do you think for one minute he doesn't have a deal done already? That his agent didn't get him a deal done? Either a re-sign with the Cubs or a better deal and the Cubs did not re-sign him. It's a guarantee. But Marcus Stroman isn't going to get three, four, five years. But it doesn't matter. He had one year 21 left and he's totally ineffective. God knows if his arm is falling off. He is going to get in a second year. That's why he opted out. Because he'll get more than 21 million over the two years. Even if he gets 11 million a year for two years, guess what? He's made an extra million dollars. As a matter of fact, I'm so sure that Marcus Stroman is going to get no more than two years that I'm willing to make it an official wait to see. Wait to see, Coca, you can book it. Marcus Stroman will not get more than a two-year contract from anybody this offseason. So he opted out. There's another thing that happens this time of year. Teams move on from longtime players. Did you, you've heard of Joey Votto, the forever Cincinnati Red? Never played anywhere else, an institution 
They signed him to a 10-year deal in 2012, I guess it was. He's made almost $300 million at Cincinnati Red. They had some good runs. He's 40 years old. He's ineffective. He's a platoon player. And he's basically finished earning that level of money. What do you do when you're a team that has that player where there was a team option for another year? Joey Votto had a team option where they could have extended his contract for another year at $20 million. Keep the franchise icon for one more year at 20 million. And he negotiated a $7 million buyout when he did this deal 10 years ago. That means the Reds decided yesterday to pay Joey Votto 7 million bucks not to play versus 20 million to play. That's only a difference of 13 million. When you've got that situation, you do the math. And the question is not, is Joey Votto a $20 million player? The answer is no. Is Joey Votto a $13 million player? Because that's the incremental amount you're paying to Joey Votto if you pick up his option. No, David, you're paying him 20. No, no. If you don't pick up the option, you're paying him seven. If you pick up the option, you're paying him 20. The difference between 20 and seven is 13. So you ask yourself, is Joey Votto a $13 million player? And the answer is no, he's not. And that's why the Reds let him go. But they had to do it in a very, very nice way. And so they did with a special statement by their president of baseball operations. They weren't going to have the Castellinis do it. And part of the statement, which made me smile, is that at this point of the offseason, based on our current roster and projected plan for 2024, as an organization, we cannot commit to the playing time Joey deserves. That is so sweet. That is nice that they communicated with Joey. Sorry, man, we can't get you the playing time and you deserve it. We're not trying to win games here. We're just trying to give people playing time. It's deserving. There's no one who deserves playing time more than a Joey Votto. He's your franchise, but it's over now. It's not that he doesn't deserve playing time or does deserve it. He can't earn it. If you closed your eyes and didn't look at the back of the jersey and just looked at his play, he wouldn't make the team. It doesn't matter what the name on the back of the jersey is. And it can be tough to say that. It can be tough to do that. And kudos to the Reds and kudos to Vado for posting a video where he was complimentary of the fans of his time in Cincinnati because he knows he's not a $13 million player anymore. Even with opt-outs, even with franchise players, Mount Rushmore players, you really have no choice. You got to wake up in the morning and say it's just business. Sorry, Joey. It's nothing personal. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.